This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. Welcome to the show today, and I want to introduce you to Dr. Rowan Moore. She's the Senior Director of Field Marketing and Applications at Waters Corporation, mum of two and an avid horse rider. In fact, if you go on to follow her on Instagram, you'll see most of her pictures are of her riding her horse with a massive smile on her face. In her inspiring story today, we look at how Rowan's love of horses actually led her on the pathway to science and leadership at every single turn. Rowan has this brilliant layer cake analogy for leadership that will leave you wanting that style of leadership and some Victoria sponge. And we look at, Rowan has this concept that absolutely everybody has the capability to lead. And Rowan in particular has developed this really interesting mindset hack that keeps imposter syndrome at bay. So let's dig into the show today. So welcome to the show today and we have Rowan Moore here. So as we're beginning the podcast today, could you say hello to everybody and introduce yourself, Rowan? Of course, thank you for having me, Hannah. Hello everybody, my name is Rowan Moore, as Hannah said, and I'm currently the um, Senior Director of Field Marketing and Applications at Waters Corporation. What a nice title you have, Rowan. Thank <laughs> you. I have I, known Rowan I, for I, quite... I pinch myself often that it's mine. <laughs> well, me too, because I kind of made up my own job. So I could probably give myself any job title I could think of, um, but I don't. So let's not um, go all crazy on the job titles over here. So I have known you for quite some time now actually quite a number of years. So I'm really interested in your career for a number of different reasons. And one is the fact that whenever I see you on social media, one, you're out on your horse. And here today, um, I see in the background, lots of horse things around you. And I know that when you first started out in your academic career, you did a, is it a degree in equine studies? So tell me a bit, a, bit, a bit more about your love of horses and about that equine studies. Yeah, so it's, it, yeah, it's, an, it's an interesting choice and it's an interesting entry pathway, I would say, into a career in, in science, in particular analytical science. So I, um, I've, I've always absolutely loved everything horse. I was one of those typical little girls who had horse posters on her bedroom wall, who begged for a pony every single Christmas, never actually got one. I've only had horses of my own since I had um, <laughs> means to be able to fund and, and do that myself. But yeah, it's always just been there as a, as a passion. And, and ultimately, I went through school, I'll be honest, not really having a clue what I wanted to do. And and quite naively, I, I said to myself, well, when I do my GCSEs, I'll see where I get the best results and that'll tell me what to do for my A-levels. And I was kind of being result led and thought, I'll just go with the flow um, and, and ultimately came out pretty much same across the board. So I had to make some decisions, some tough decisions then. 
and, and decided that I had more of an interest in, in the world of, of science. And that's really driven, been driven through a desire to understand the why about everything. And one of those annoying people that if someone tells me something's interesting and it can be something really menial, I have this, and I can't explain why, I have this desire to really try and get to the answer and get to the, the bottom of it and understand it. And that can come across as someone who's quite stubborn sometimes, or always wants to be right. <laughs> Um, but really, I just have an insatiable desire to know the facts and I, I don't settle for hearsay. But but ultimately, yeah, that was I ended up going into the sciences and thinking maybe I'll be interested in a, in a veterinary degree, given that um, I'd always been into horses. Um, and, and really what, what happened was uh, I went and did my my science A-levels. But but just rewind a little bit. It all started when I was about 14, to be honest. I was in my IT lesson at school, horse mad making a horse database and the IT teacher looked over my shoulder and she said oh you like horses and I said yeah 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 you know I, I, I save up I have two paper rounds every two weeks I get to have one riding lesson um, and, it, and it's amazing and one day I hope I can have my own horse and and uh, she said oh I know someone who's pregnant and needs their horse riding for them and I and I, I must be honest at the time I thought this is never going to come to anything so many people as a as a young girl without a pony used to say oh you can come and ride my horse or you can come and see and it never used to come to anything always well intended but life gets in the way so anyway the phone call came on the landline to my mum from somebody we'd never met before saying does your daughter want to come and ride my horse I'm I'm stopping riding because I'm pregnant so I went to ride this horse. It turned out the um, the owner of that horse worked in, in a bioanalytical laboratory in Manchester. She was um, a study leader. And um, so then when it came to work experience time, she said, why don't you come to the lab and do some work experience? So when I was 15, I went to this bioanalytical lab and I was loading dishwashers. I was making up mobile phase for chromatography systems, labeling tubes, um, typing up sample lists, helping with QA work um, of the study results. And, and that really was my first taste of, of science. Um, but so it started with horses, even there, as bizarre as that sounds, it got me into the lab. And, and then it, they gave me a temporary analytical assistant position. So even while I was at high school doing my A-levels in the summer holidays, I used to work in the lab, um, working on you know, pharmaceutical studies. And then um, when it came to degree crunch time, after I'd done my A-levels, I had an offer to go and do chemistry. In fact, chemistry with French, I was going to go and do at Birmingham. I really liked the campus there. And then I, I had this big pang of panic and thought, what if I don't enjoy it? Everything that I've been good at so far has been driven by the fact that it inspired and motivated me <clears throat> and really gave me energy. And, and I thought, I don't know if just doing chemistry is going to give me that energy. So I did a very, very quick online search and last minute switch, found a, an equine science degree. So I went and did equine science. It sounds like there's always been a synergy, though, between equine and chemistry for you, even from that earliest moment of the kind of random but not so random fact that you ended up with riding a horse and being in the bioanalytical lab. So was that definitely an upgrade in terms of um, the paper round versus working in the lab? It was, yeah. I mean, I had many jobs as a teenager to find <laughs> my equestrian passion, everything from waitressing to pot washing to 
um, bar work and and yeah paper rounds is where it all started but yeah I think it was a big upgrade to say no my summer job is I'm a bioanalytical assistant that's quite cool when you're 16 years old right oh for sure for sure I remember doing something similar instead of lifeguarding I got an upgrade to um Oh, it's always changing names, but um, to work in a chemistry lab, just testing their chemicals by NMR. So um, feels cool at the time, not so yeah. cool in, uh, when I look back, but definitely yeah. better than cleaning, um, cleaning changing rooms and finding bits of we in the corner. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you did this um, equine degree and it was a last minute switch for you. So yeah. how did that pan out in terms of your um, expectations versus the reality there yeah I mean I, I loved every moment of it I mean it was totally suited to me I've, I've always lived in you know a quite rural area surrounded by hills and city life was never something I've, I've anchored after so it, it was really nice to be at an agricultural college doing my degree and I was surrounded by fellow equestrians um, horticulturalists and, and farmers essentially um, for three years doing my degree down in, in Essex, which was which was fantastic um, and maybe not miss home, even though I was a long way from home, relatively. Um, and, and as part of that, I, I was able to, to continue my interest, let's say, in, in the world of analytical science. And I did a, a project as part of my degree where I was looking at um, analysis of horse hair um, to pick up markers of ragwort poisoning. So ragwort is quite a prevalent weed um, that we find in the UK on grass verges, on canal banks. Um, and if you're unlucky enough in, in your, on your grazing land, um, and it is actually con controlled by the, the Injurious Weeds Act as well. So people aren't meant to allow it to grow in, in crop or, or grazing land. But, but yeah, it's, it's a very silent killer, let's say, of, of horses in the fact that you don't have any, really any signs of, of the problem until they basically drop down with irreversible liver damage. Oh, wow. I was trying wow. to essentially um, look at whether hair would be a matrix that we could analyze. And I was using HPLC to do that, so liquid chromatography. And I was lucky enough to do an undergrad project and I, and I spent a summer at the Royal Vet College um, doing that work in the lab and I had unrestricted access to the lab. I was able to go through catalogs of, of different chemistries and columns to, to try and develop methods. I was ordering standards of these alkaloids from, from all over the world that are found in ragwort to try and to try and generate the metabolites myself in vitro. And it was it was really exciting. You know, I was I was just indulged completely on the on the science side and being able to explore the boundaries there and picking up the phone and speaking to different um, vendors of instruments and chemistries and, and, and learning a lot as a result of that so that that's what I did for my undergrad and 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 I wanted to carry that on after I'd finished my degree um so that sparked some outreach to anyone and everyone that I knew that was interested in that field of research um I I, I must admit I stuck to the UK in terms of my outreach um I wasn't that adventurous and I, and I honestly I, I felt that the, my next step would probably be some sort of lab technician or research assistant type role at a university and I was I was so fortunate to be paired up with with Professor Rob Bain and at the University of Liverpool, who who had a parallel um, piece of work that some students of his were looking into with with looking for biomarkers for the same plant which poisoned horses and and he, and he asked me to write up a proposal and um, there I went to do my PhD. That's so 
interesting actually that even at an early age because I know that now you're at Waters it is all about the technology there as well that you were actually accessing back there in your PhD so I can see a lovely synergy behind how you ended up where you ended up but it was it sounds like it was really important for you to have that bigger picture question around the horses and the impact it was having on the horses in order for you to care enough to like go into detail with the research in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that certainly is something is having that context. That's always been a, a driver for me and understanding the, the bigger why, what, what is the question, what is the challenge that you're trying to solve. And, and I think that probably is what motivates me. I, I quite often and in preparation for this discussion today, I sit here and I scratch my head and I think I don't really know the answer as to how or why I've ended up where I have. All I know is that I've had a bloody good time on the way. <laughs> that, that for me, that, that's what matters the most, you know, that, and, and it's the same for the teams that I manage today. Yes, we have a job to do. Yes, we have targets to meet. Yes, we have a business that we're, we're growing and customers that we want to serve and allow them to answer the big challenging questions rather than doing mm-hmm. it yourself directly. But Ultimately, you know, you, you spend a lot of time at work and you, I think you have to enjoy what you're doing. And that's something that I've always placed at the centre of, it's like a guiding star, you know, if, if it feels right and, and you, you're motivated and, and excited about it, then it probably is right. Exactly. So Steve, you sort of um, bring me back to Steve Jobs Stanford address there where he talks about if he's not been having so much fun or enjoyment over a number of days, I don't know how many days he he was talking about whether that was five or 30 or 200. But he said, if you're not having so much fun day to day, then it's time to change what you're doing and do something different because work should be joyful, should be fun. So it's really interesting that you have that as one point of your guiding star. And also Steve Jobs in that address also talks about connecting the dots and how you can't connect the dots going forward. You're just sort of taking that next step that feels a little bit more aligned than the last. And it only really makes sense when you start to go backwards and you connect all of those dots. So at the moment, we have these dots between um, equestrian life and also this analytical side of you that wants to answer the questions and the, the why using those techniques. And we've got you there to your PhD. So what happened towards the end of the PhD? So um, as part of my PhD, um, I was, again, completely indulged in, in analytical technology. It was like a toy shop for someone that likes LC and MS being in that lab at Liverpool University. And, and I was lucky enough to interact with many um, instrument vendors, again, in my time there and to be able to, to chat to them, to consider what types of careers were available before me or or indeed asking myself that question do I want to stay in in academia and stay in research and I think what I found was the thing again that that motivated me was was variety I couldn't imagine going into industry to work for a CRO as I had done um, part-time throughout a lot of my studies for me I felt that that wasn't variety enough you know it was the same sorts of assays of course there's different compounds that you're working on but it was similar assays similar technology all the time um, so I'd enjoyed my PhD in, in that respect that, that it was a broader variety of of approaches um, more freedom of course in, in how you approach answering the big questions but but yeah I felt that there was still more 
out there that that I could give and and I'd been absolutely indulged in the technology and and that was really what led me to start then looking at, at roles that were available with the different instrument vendors because obviously I knew that they served a variety of markets um, meeting many different customers needs and challenges and and it allowed me to to maintain my my love and my apparent apparent skill that I had back then I mean I haven't been hands-on in the lab for a few years now but I felt like I was I was a good analytical scientist as well and, and I thought, you know, I think I can bring something here. And that was how I ended up applying for a, a position at Waters, where I, where I joined in 2008 in the lab. Oh, OK, so when you moved across, this is um, often an interesting move in terms of planning your career. Sometimes it's easier to make a move across into industry in, with the skill set that you already have. And then you're able to switch into something different, should you wish to do so, once you've made that move. Sometimes it can be quite hard to do the, I know you've moved into marketing, the switch into marketing and across all at the same time. So sometimes it just has to be um, a step towards another step towards another step. So how did you then suddenly move from the lab into marketing them? Yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting point you make, first of all, about the transition from, let's say, an existing skill set into a in, from academia into industry and, a, and maybe a different role type that your skill set doesn't necessarily map to and, and I think the word I just want to comment that I think the world is changing there quite a lot I think historically absolutely I would never have considered thinking I would have been appropriate to apply for anything other than a, an application scientist like role given that I'd come from a background of LC and MS and, and lab-based activities in in my origin but I think today there is there is such a wealth of opportunity in companies like Waters and other instrument vendors that, that isn't just related to um to having labs lab skills going into the lab you know I mean you know we, we have people in marketing roles in inside sales roles or even account manager sales roles who come straight from um, university because there is I think rightly so we've recognized there's such a breadth of trans transferable skills and that underlying fundamental knowledge and experience that you have in the lab is valuable in other in other roles so that's something that's that's changed but certainly for me yeah the transition from field applications to well first of all management was a big step people management which I did from an applications role first of all and then moving from that into, into marketing, they were two big steps, I would say, or big, scary things um, <laughs> that, that happened in my career path. And, and ultimately, I guess, the, I'll, I'll talk first about the people management piece, because I think it is an interesting one for other female scientists and, and potential leaders of the future. Is, you know, for me, it was like, I can't possibly manage these people. They're more experienced than me. They're older than me. And I'm starting to look old now. But even today I still feel like the baby in the room sometimes and that's a really really scary thing it's not necessarily that male female balance it's the age balance that I've always felt more than anything else in my career path so so yeah that was a big step and I'll be honest have it I've had my first child in 2010 and that was the same year that I took my first people management role as well and and it really gave me a renewed sense of almost like woman power. The fact that I'd had a child, as bizarre as that sounds, I think that helped me on my leadership path because I kind of had this 
maybe misplaced, but this feeling of I can do this, I can do anything. I have <laughs> I missed this person. I gave birth to a child. You know, what what more can be harder than all of that stuff that I've now done? And this sense of responsibility that I have with with my child, nothing can be bigger than that. So of course I can do this. And that was that uh, it was part of a self-talk I think that I gave to myself to give myself the courage to, to step up and go for some of the positions that I have but that was really a really interesting kind of emotional thing that happened interesting that you say that because I experienced something similar when I had a child the fact that I've managed to birth a child <laughs> do we just say um, um all that that entails um, every day it's, it's still alive it's still here I did it <laughs> Well, if you compare that to, to how I um, treat my plants that doesn't go so well in terms of how long they last, then I, I'm definitely winning with my three children. But it's interesting you say that. And there's some recent research that shows that mothers are more ambitious. They become more ambitious in motherhood than previously. Just some recent research, in fact, by my friend Anna Kate Harris. Um, who is interviewing a series of mothers about their experiences. Because there's often this mindset that, um, pe um, not people, but the previous research has showed that, oh, when you have a child, you become less ambitious and therefore you opt out of the workplace. Well, that's been completely shown to be untrue. And actually that women become more ambitious when they have children. And it's like you say, it's part of that, self-talk I can do anything now I've done this but also do you feel that part of it is having a child and thinking about um how they perceive themselves in the future as well and all that they can be and do in the yeah, world there's absolutely an element of that it's 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 leading by example right it's it's what what I try to do every single day and in, in my work life as well as my home life it's showing them that they're that there is there is more you can have an impact and I mean my first child is now coming up 12 years old and he's he's always asking me what I'm doing at work what did you do today you know what what was the good stuff that, that Waters has, has been talking about and he's genuinely interested in in my team and and how things are going and and I think I think he's starting to now understand what it means when mommy goes to work, which when he was little, of course, it was just like a black box, I should imagine, of she's there and then she's not there and she's doing that thing called work that means I can have a new toy maybe one day if I'm good. By <laughs> <laughs> um, now it, it kind of means a bit more and he's now at high school and they start to even at that age talk about career and he can see and understand what that means. Mm, I really love that. And just to pick back up on your point earlier about transitioning into industry from academia. So I love the fact that you've brought up that now more than ever has become a time of opportunity to make big shifts as long as you know what you want to do. So if you'd known back then in the PhD, yes, I want to go into marketing, you could have made that opportunity to go straight in at this sort of entry level. But yeah. sometimes not knowing means transferring across with the skills you have to let that unfold, to be able to then know in the future as well. So what was it then that you went into the managerial position? What mm -hmm. was it that really attracted you into marketing them? Well, I think the first thing to say is, again, I wasn't 
necessarily much like most of my career path I wasn't I wasn't actively looking for a shift or pining for change or dis disliking or not enjoying what I did in fact as I said it was another terrifying step for me to go from the lab from a hands-on position into a marketing position it was really that spirit of it, it's an opportunity that's come up before me to do something different do I feel like um it would be worth exploring way, way up the pros and the cons and and I thought well what have I got to lose than to try it and, and I guess one thing that I've always had as a bit and I still have it today it's like a little comfort blanket that I have around me which is you can all I strongly believe and I haven't tested the theory yet um, but I strongly believe that you can step there's nothing to say you can't step backwards again and, and I think that was the mentality that I had that allowed me to take that leap and to try it and, and to not get too het up and worried about not having done something before, which I think holds many people back, like you said, having that skill set to then be able to take forwards. I had to kind of cross that out on the list and go, no, you have transferable skills that will that will be absolutely relevant and, and bring value in your new position. You may not be doing exactly what you were before. Um, and you might not have ever done some of the things that you're going to be asked to do, but hey, you can learn if you have the interest sufficient to do that. Um, and I did have the interest. It was a, a farmer and biopharma global marketing manager position that I took. And um, yeah, I was sufficiently interested in that space. I've been working with a lot of customers in that space in my hands-on applications roles. And, um, and yeah, that was pretty much the top and bottom of it. It was an opportunity that came to me and and I felt it was a good time as good a time as any to try it and that security blanket I felt was always there there were no doors closed behind me even today I feel that if I wanted to go back in the lab if that was something that 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 I felt was going to make me happy if at any point I'm not happy then I, I strongly believe that door is open whether it's in industry or academia mm, I really like that analogy although I wouldn't call it a safety blanket or a comfort blanket but just a a mindset shift of actually um going backwards isn't or going backwards sideways forwards whatever way you want to go around in a circle none of it is failure it's not it's actually just moving with the flow and what's um joyful for you and what's more aligned for you and not worrying about how that's going to be perceived by other people or even yourself so sort of disattaching the outcome to yourself self-worth yeah absolutely. I think yeah one of the biggest things that I've, I've found is you know I think you've got to learn to embrace opportunities that present themselves to you especially if they're free of charge and if they're enjoyable and what, the reason I throw in if they're free of charge is because yes I'm now in marketing and there are quite a lot of opportunities that present themselves in the marketing space and, and more often than not it's it's easier to say I don't have time to do that than to dig deep and do it and every single time I've ever done that or my teams have done that you look back over your shoulder and it's such a sense of achievement and pride and the the result you know warranted the the effort and sometimes the stuff that's free has more impact than than other things as well so that's why I say that but it's the same with job opportunities you know embrace the opportunity if it feels right if it ticks the boxes if it's going to broaden your skill set one of the things about science and leadership is that they're both lifelong learning journeys and a lot of it yes is based on your skill set your experiences how you've performed 
Um, but a lot of it's based around your network, the relationships, and, and it's supplemented by that training and educational piece. And, and I think there's always opportunities to continue growing and expanding. Absolutely. And I love the fact that you brought in leadership there. So in the role that you're in, how many people are you currently leading in terms of your team? And what is your particular leadership style? Yeah, so I have um, six direct reports in the organization that I lead, but in total, um, it's 35 um, people in the European field marketing and, and applications team. So it's pretty much a 50-50 mix of application scientists who are developing methods and, and working in the lab day to day and also working with customers and demonstrating and, and doing sample analysis. And then I have 50% of the team who are field marketing focused and, and they, are, they are kind of split um, based on the market segment that they serve. So whether that's the pharmaceutical market, um, the food and environmental market, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's the team that I have today. Um, in terms of my leadership style, it's, yeah, it's hard to put in a box. I always say, so that question is a difficult one because for me, um, if I, I guess the easiest way to answer that question is to reflect on some of the leaders that I've been lucky enough to work for or work with so far in my career. And, and I like to think of it as being a bit like a cake or a sandwich, if savoury is your thing. So you've got a leadership sandwich. Or leadership <laughs> Wait a minute. If it was a cake, what kind of cake are we talking about here? A um, mobile cake. Good old Victoria sponge with buttercream and jam in the middle. Okay, go for it. So if you think about it as a cake, and I can kind of put leaders that I've worked with or, uh, into the different layers. So I think I always think of it as like you've got this bottom layer, which is leaders or leadership traits. So being calm, being clear, being considered, informed and data driven. Right. So that's your foundational leadership. And then in the middle, you kind of have this buttercream bit, which is compassionate and caring and nurturing and attentive to your team. And then the top layer is where you've got the kind of external facing, inspirational, motivational, dream big, success driven icing. So that's and that, and I think the 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 best leadership style is when you can bring forward the different pieces of that at the right time and with the right audience. So so yeah, I guess that's how I view leadership as a whole. Where I sit in that. I think, as I say, I like to think that I can switch on and off different pieces of, of the layers at, at different times. But we do have something in, in, in Waters that we use called Discovery Insights. And it's kind of it's a psychometric based analysis of individuals based on the psychology of, of someone called Carl Jung. And it helps you to understand yourself and others and really make the most of the relationships, because a lot of leadership is about relationships you know building those developing those and bringing out the best in 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 individuals to to serve the team and to serve the business as a whole so in that analysis you get given a color maybe I can get you to guess which color I am <laughs> it's pretty easy for me but I don't know if it translates because I use talent dynamics which is also based on Carl Jung yeah um, it's hard for me because you are a real mixture of, and I don't know if the colours match on to the same colours as yours, but you're what I would put in as a creative profile. The real um, innovative, 
fast-paced energy of great ideas and getting stuff started, that kind of energy. And it's a mix of extrovert, where you're really great with people and bringing the best out in people and turning ideas into action through people. But also you, you talk about being data-driven, so you also sit on the other side as well, um, which for me is um, in talent dynamics is the gray side, the steel side. So it's like you're a mixture of mostly green with some red next and then some gray and a little bit of tempo energy at the bottom. So I don't know if the colors match, but that's that's how I would describe you. Yeah, so it's um, I think the, the well, the model that we've used in the past puts you into the far color boxes. But mm. as you say there's always you have like a dominant color, um, yeah. but your primary and secondary and then the others. And the ideal, yeah, I guess is a mix. But more often than not, you expect leaders. And I think historically leaders have been fiery red, that kind of director. And it actually says, I think on the thing, it's on the on the disc, it will say director yeah. as the fiery red. So immediately you start to go, I can't possibly ever be a director because I'm not fiery red. But that's <laughs> true because of course the power is in the diversity um so i i'm actually sunshine yellow <laughs> when sunshine I, yellow that's what we refer to it as yeah so of course as you said that's enthusiastic um getting involved bringing energy forwards um being creative but you know this as you said it can sometimes be seen as a lack of patience and, and acting with a bit of haste so oh, for uh, sure you're well i'm well versed in yeah. that kind of energy <laughs> So it's something that you know it does take it does take personal control and and uh, development to be able to to allow yourself to take a step back to understand that sometimes you've got to go slow to go fast or to go mm. slow fast if you put it that way maybe um, and and to be able to learn to delegate I think that's been a big one for me as I've as I've continued on my leadership journey and also yeah just pause and reflect more um interestingly the kind of getting things started and not finishing i guess that's where the other colors come in because as well as the um the the yellow i also have a lot of green and then there's also you know a significant part of blue and, and my smallest is a uh, part is actually red but yeah it's it's always interesting to look at these things so it's a long answer to what what how would you describe your leadership style but i think i like to think i am a blend uh, I am a blended leader and I bring forward the different attributes when it when it makes most sense. But there's always development to do and it is a, a lifelong journey. You're never going to be the finished, the finished product ever. And the same is, is true in science, right? We and that's exciting, really, isn't it, to think about uh, about it in that way. Otherwise, I might get to that final destination and go, huh, what next? <laughs> yeah. So our colours don't match across, but our descriptions matched across. And even though we're talking about two different things, but um, really interesting to pinpoint that when you talked about that red being traditionally the director, the kind of manager kind of role, what actually all the profiles teach us is that you can lead from any profile. Absolutely. You can lead from absolutely any profile and you can create a growth and a leadership pathway from there. And lots of people do this. The key is that then you have members of team of your team that will fill the gaps for you that you can delegate to or that you can um, address some of the things that you're not so naturally talented at. Yeah, the other thing that's, that, that I've found really helpful as a 
as a leader, as a manager, is to remember, because it can feel quite lonely sometimes being a leader. And like you said, you know, if, if you don't have or you're not strong in one area, of course, you bring that forwards in your in your team. So, again, even in that model, it's almost triangular. I like to kind of picture things. Um, it's almost triangular. Of course you do, because that's the energy. <laughs> triangular way. You, you, it just in that in that description, you put in the leader, the one person at the top and they're on their own and they've got to just build and and put this together in the team. We should never forget, unless you're the CEO of the company. Um, that you're part of a team as well. And that's something that I, honestly, that, that really helps me as well to say, I'm part of a leadership team. You know, I have that team, they are part of my support network. And so it's not just down to you. Yes, of course, your team, your team are, and, and you're absolutely right, but there's complementarity across the leadership team that I sit. And I'm, I'm, I'm very aware that, you know, we should act as a team and we should work across and we should align and, and leverage the skills and, and talent that we have across the different teams and not, not think of ourselves just because we're a manager or a leader, that, that we're a singular unit or a silo. Yeah, I love, I love the fact that you've not siloed yourself. And sometimes we have this analogy called leader as a weaver of your own tapestry. So what that means is that you have these peer-to-peer interactions with people you have mentees but you also have mentors yourself and then you get to sometimes things fall off the top or fall off the bottom but it's important to have those key elements in order to feel um like you're in a growth phase of your leadership so i want to finish with one last question because i'm super um thankful for all of your insight i just love the layer cake I'm definitely going to be using that analogy again. <laughs> but I want you to think about a moment in your career, which was the hardest time for you during that career. And I want you to go back and think about what piece of advice do you wish that you could have given yourself at that hardest moment of time for you? Oh, that's a tricky one, just picking one. <laughs> so many to choose from (laughs) yeah it is hard I mean there's been there's been many times when I found myself in a situation where I'm doing something that I have never ever had to do before whether it's a a business task whether it was in the marketing roles whether it was in the in the applications lab positions that I've had where I'm really stepping in something completely new analyzing a compound or a a type of compound and and using a workflow that I've never even used before and I think in all of those situations I've had that same feeling of I have not I'm not I'm not going to be good enough at this I'm never going to be able to deliver what they're asking me to deliver and and every single time that I've I've ended up on that journey they've been the most rewarding it's always been the most rewarding outcome and so the I guess the advice the advice that I would give other people and based on what I've learned is use your network. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Never be afraid to ask questions. Or don't be and don't be afraid if you don't don't know the answer if somebody else asks you the question. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with not knowing the answer ever. Um, you know, asking for help is a strength, not a weakness. So that that. I can't think of anything else to to kind of bring that forwards. But for me, you know, even from being at school, I was the one that was scared to put my hand up. And I wish I had put my hand up more. And if I was picked on, I went bright red. And I still do that sometimes today. 
you know, if I get if I do get singled out and I'll still get palpitations when it's around the table. Hello, introduce yourself. It's just crazy, silly things. Um, but when you've overcome those challenges and as I say, when you look back at the achievements, when it was doing something new or answering a question that you've never had to answer before, yeah, it might take you a day longer than than perhaps you expected because you had to do some research and figure it out. But don't shy away from doing it just because it's a little bit hard or uncomfortable. You you will absolutely get the most out of it in those situations if you if you dig a bit deeper. And really reflecting on that, it's the most probably the most uncomfortable things which actually bring us um, the most joy in the end when we go on the other side of those. Always. So, always. Thank you, Rowan, so much for your time to, today. Super insightful. And you've now made me want cake this afternoon. Sorry. <laughs> and I don't even have any to offer you. No worries. We will make sure that there is a lovely picture of cake with this episode. <laughs> hey, fantastic. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. To get further support in your journey, join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.